I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and as always, we've got plenty to get into. On today's show, we're going to be talking William Saliba, we're going to be talking Tim Lewis, and uh, perhaps a bigger role at Arsenal for him. We're going to be uh, discussing Arsenal's plans for the January transfer window. We'll be taking your questions from the live chat and we'll be reflecting on some of the other big talking points and big stories from another weekend of Premier League action. I can't wait to get into it. Uh, a big hello to those of you joining us in the chat right now, to Kingsley, to Steve, to Des, to Chad, to Chris, to Pavel, um, to Glenn, uh, to Moss, to Delisu, to Henry, uh, to Yuhaizam. I think I've said that right. Hope you guys are all well. Thank you so, so much for being with us. Really, really do appreciate it. How much easier is it to get up and go to work on a Monday when Arsenal have just beaten Spurs? It's just so much easier, isn't it? I, I really enjoyed the 90 Min Gas Tank show today, which um, I have to say over the last few years has been difficult at times as an Arsenal fan. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed that today. I enjoyed getting to be smug. I enjoyed getting the opportunity to kind of, you know, double down on the criticism of Spurs, the criticism that they've received since uh, the game on Saturday. And I've also really enjoyed sort of, uh, you know, waxing lyrical about the Gunners and Arsenal and the way we're progressing, the way we're moving forward and the way we controlled and dominated that North London derby. Something really uh, to be proud of. So, yeah, I mean, just generally your mood is so much better. And I was at a wedding uh, last night, which I really enjoyed. Um had a, a few drinks, uh, a few too many drinks, probably had a really late night. And when I sort of woke up this morning when my alarm went off, normally in that situation, I'd be like, oh, my God, where's the snooze button? Let's get back to sleep. Or I'd have to drag myself uh, out of bed to get ready and, and get sorted and get into the studio. But instead today, despite being a little bit worse for wear, as some of you actually pointed out in the 90 min stream uh, that I looked a little bit worse for wear. Uh, it was really easy to just shoot out of bed, get ready, head down to the train station, and off I went. Why? Because Arsenal had won the North London derby. And, you know, it just gives you so much pride. It gives you so much to, to enjoy, you know, and particularly, I, I mean, I know a lot of global fans also, um, you know, feel that rivalry with Spurs. You guys understand exactly what it's all about and understand why it's a must-win game, why it's a game that, you know, ultimately leads in in happiness for, for quite some time if you win it, but immense sadness if you lose it. I think when you live in North London and when you come into contact with that lot quite a bit, whether that be at work, whether that be within families, uh, whether that be, you know, just in your day-to-day, -day, it's, it's so nice sort of walking around, you know, you're kind of standing up straight, proud, tall, whatever. But what I will say is normally you get the excuses. You get the the moaning, the complaining. You you know, there'll always be a reason why Tottenham didn't win the game. They were gifted a penalty kick by us, not by the referee, by us as a football team. There was a catalogue of errors that led to that and that allowed them a way back into the game. But outside of that, they weren't in the game at all. 
And it's actually been quite nice. Like I know a lot of people have been moaning about Conte online and been moaning about Spurs fans in terms of trying to, them trying to find excuses. Actually, the Spurs fans I've spoken to uh, have been very complimentary of Arsenal um, and very humble in the defeat, which is nice because it means we've put them back in their box, doesn't it? But anyway, uh, we'll take it. Uh, let's go over to the comments and say a few more hellos because more of you are joining us, of course, as the stream uh, goes on. Uh, let's say hello to Alexander, um, to Moss as well. Wesbird says, evening, Harry, and all you gorgeous gooners. Um, <laughs> Pavel says, these days, if I feel a bit down, I just look at the Premier League table and I'm instantly better. Yeah, it's a great thing to have, great tool to have, isn't it? Uh, Gangle says, hi, Harry, from Hungary. Hi, mate. Uh, Adam, Adair, sorry, says, what a derby. Come on, you gunners. Frank Ayala says, Morning, you beauties. Anyone else needing a bit of the hair of the dog? Uh, Glenn Goldsworthy says, my daughter's boyfriend is a Spurs fan. Can't wait to see him again. There you go. Um, there you go. It's probably the only time you'll ever want to see your daughter's boyfriend um, <laughs> uh, is to rub it in. Uh, Delisi says, that victory was such a relief, Harry. I was on a knife edge the whole week. Uh, we've got uh, Pegmatite, who joins us from uh, King of Prussia. Pennsylvania wandering minstrel says great stuff greetings Harry and fellow gooners hope you're good um PG Venkat says Harry I don't know how Jacka will be able to play eight more games this month look the fixture congestion is a problem but I don't expect I don't expect him to play every single one I think at some point we got to give him a breather like we got to and if you can't do that against Bodo Glimt then you never will so listen you know we could potentially we want to win the Europa League group because obviously there is that that difference this season that um, if you win the group, you don't have to go into that round of 32. And if you don't win the group, you end up with an extra fixture. We don't need any more fixtures. How many bloody games can we physically play? But I do think there is a world in which we could potentially give him a break. I think if Mohamed Elneny was fit, it would be much easier to do that. Um, there's no question about that. But does he ask Fabio Vieira, for example, to play uh, as one of the eights? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but there's got to be a way and he has to do it because we run the risk of, of running certain players into the ground. I know he's one of the more durable ones, if you want to put it that way, but you still got to be so, so careful. Um, Alexander says, uh, Harry, do you think Saka, Martinelli and Willow uh, will commit before big strides are visible? Uh, of a UCL buff. We're going to come on to talk about the Saliba thing in a minute um, in detail. So I'll just park that one for a second. Henry says, uh, hey, you sit so close to me from what I can see on your after the game videos. I will come find you soon. Block six, row 16. Come and find me, mate. You're more than welcome. It'd be good to see you uh, in person. Okay, let's, um, let's take it on uh, to uh, William Saliba. And uh, as you'll see from the title, William Saliba has dropped a little bit of a hint about his future. Now, there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of talk about his contract situation, uh, given the way his Arsenal career started. Now, I think this was something that was painted sort of in a really ugly way uh, by the media, by critics of Arsenal, Arteta's critics, who maybe didn't want to give him the credit that he probably deserved for spotting that the fact that, yeah, William Saliba's talented, but going away and playing one more season in France, in particular with a big club like Marseille, that could really help take him up to the next level. And I think we're seeing that next level now. Um, 
So, yeah, I think this was a situation that was always painted in a much more negative way than actually the reality suggests. William Saliba's back. He's been speaking about how happy he's been at Arsenal. Um, he's enjoying it. He is first choice. Uh, one of the first names on the team sheet now. He's playing at centre-back alongside Gabriel. He's done a great job of that. And I must admit, I didn't think it was going to be easy for anybody to displace Ben White um, in Mikel Arteta's eyes anyway, because I think he had a really strong season overall last season. Ben White, he really brought something to that defence, some composure, uh, the, the reading of the game. He brought the ability to progress the ball out of the defence. And I felt like he was one of Mikel's favourites. you got to remember as well that the club sanctioned a £50 million deal for Ben White not too long ago, despite the wider world thinking that maybe that was a crazy fee. So that tells you how much Arsenal rate the guy. That tells you how high, uh, how highly, I beg your pardon, he's regarded in Mikel Arteta's eyes. So, yeah, I'm surprised that Saliba's come in and done what he's done. Uh, maybe you could say that there's a bit of luck in there in that not that he hasn't taken the opportunities. Obviously, he's earned the right. And and I don't think anybody would question now the fact that he deserves to be in the team. What I'm trying to say is when you start the season without Takahiro Tomiyasu, that maybe, you know, it maybe just kind of pushed Mikel Arteta into moving Ben White out to right back and then therefore giving William Saliba an, op uh, an opportunity. Maybe a little bit earlier than he would have done had Tomiyasu not been injured, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. So whatever that circumstance was, whatever happened that ultimately led to Mikel Arteta taking that decision, it's been a great one, hasn't it? Because William Saliba has been flying. So what has he actually said? What is the hint? Now, someone said uh, earlier on in the chat that, you know, has he put his house up for sale in Marseille? Is that where it's come from? No. William Saliba, uh, during an interview over the weekend, said when asked about whether contract talks were underway, uh, what was what was happening with that regard, he said, we will see they talk a little bit. So he let the cat out of the bag that there is some conversation going on between William Saliba's people and Arsenal Football Club. Now, these things don't get done overnight. There are a lot of variables. We're talking about big and vast amounts of money. But this is one that Arsenal need to wrap up as soon as possible because tying William Saliba down right now, based on what we've seen of him in the opening weeks of the Premier League season, has to be a top, top priority. He's superb, composed, calm, looks experienced way beyond his years, physical, quick, technically very, very good as well. He's got so much to offer, and I honestly believe that he can be our Virgil van Dijk for the coming seasons. I... I look at him and I see that much talent. I see that much ability. I see someone who looks as though he's been playing in the Premier League for years. And the reality is, it's a matter of months. So to be at this level, to be as composed as he is, to be as effective as he is, I just think is, you know, is is something really, really special. And it's great to see him sort of coming back to the club after all that went on and the speculation that followed. It's great to see him come back and really make an impact and really show and prove uh, to the world that actually he is not just here to make up the numbers. He is here and he's on the path to being, I'd go as far as saying, one of the best defenders in the world. If he continues on this trajectory, why wouldn't he be? Like, I'd already argue, I know the sample size is small, but that he's one of the best defenders in the Premier League. And so if you're one of the best defenders in what many people regard as the best league in the world, 
why shouldn't you aspire to become the best defender in the world? So, yeah, um, you know, I think it's it's great to see uh, him performing in the way he is. Also great to hear that there is some kind of line of communication there. Uh, William Saliba, I said at the start of the season, will probably want to wait. He would probably want to see how things went at Arsenal this season before making a decision either way because of the fact that he maybe felt in the past that he wasn't loved, um, appreciated enough or respected enough. You know, I think as I keep saying, I've said it to you guys a million and one times, but the decision to not register him the season before last was one of the worst decisions I think Arsenal have probably made as a football club in years, clearly. Obviously, they thought that, you know, he needed to go out on loan. But having realised that that wasn't going to happen, I think they needed to involve him some way, somehow. And they didn't. So that understandably has created a bit of a chasm between Saliba and the club in terms of trust. I think that has been closed quite a bit based on the fact that he's come back, got straight into the team and has uh, maintained his place in the team. But I still think there's just a little bit of a gap there that Arsenal now need to go the extra mile as a football club to bridge. And obviously, there are going to be other clubs circling, right? When someone plays well, that's what happens. When someone plays this brilliantly, when someone comes in and has this much of an impact, and given his contract situation, there will be vultures circling, as Pat points out in the comments. And we've got to protect ourselves against losing these players, or at least put ourselves in a position that if we do lose them, if they do try and force the move as individual players, that we are protected in that we can say, OK, you can go. But we want £80 million. We want £90 million. We want £100 million. This is something that Arsenal have to be really switched on about. Because for years and years and years, we've watched prize assets leave because we've not been proactive enough with their contract situations. And as a consequence of that, we've been shortchanged. We've been ripped off, essentially. We've lost players that are of, were of high value and importance to the team. However, the fee that we got never reflected that. So I, I think it's really key that we do tie these players down. The same can be said about Bukayo Saka, about Martinelli, about all of these guys. The guys that we essentially look at and think this is the future of Arsenal. How can we protect ourselves against the risk of vultures that have been circling, coming in, watching them closely, waiting until their contract situations are vulnerable and then taking advantage of those? We've got to. We've got to protect ourselves against this. Hopefully we can get that deal done. Hopefully we can make it happen sooner rather than later and everybody can relax a little bit around that one. Tim Lewis uh, has resigned uh, from uh, his uh, day job, essentially. Um, he was at a, a firm called Clifford Chance. But uh, Tim Lewis, who is a non-executive member of the board, is one of the Cronkies' Uh, most trusted allies, he has uh, resigned uh, from that job, which means he is now going to focus more on his work with Arsenal. Um, he's been working with the club for a while now, but of course, uh, it feels as though he's about to take on a bigger role. Now, what that will entail directly, I don't know. Um, what does it mean? I don't know exactly. It's really hard to kind of quantify what exactly Tim Lewis is going to do because he's as I say, a non-executive member of the board, but he was kind of sent in initially as a bit of a, a spy, do you want to call him that? Basically, he was sent in to preside over the sort of financial 
investigations, internal investigations, those are, uh, that were being carried out at the time, because of course there were question marks about some of the big deals that we had done. And the one that Tim Lewis is associated with kind of looking into and trying to get to the bottom of more than any other is that uh, deal that saw Nicolas Pepe join the club for £72 million. What his role will be going forward exactly, as I say, is unclear at this stage. But he's someone who clearly is an ally of not just KSE, but of Mikel Arteta's too. He clearly gets on with him. There is a relationship. I think you really felt that in the Amazon documentary. And so what does it do, in my opinion? Probably strengthens Mikel Arteta's position more than anything else. It strengthens ours as a football club, of course, because he brings a very... Um, you know, a very good set of skills and and some great expertise. But yeah, I think for me, more than anything, it, it strengthens Mikel Arteta's position because he, at board level, will have yet another ally, another person he can call upon, another person he can lean on when things get tough. Also, uh, wanted to touch on a report that's been doing the rounds uh, as well, which is from uh, Sammy Mockbell. Uh, over at the Daily Mail, uh, which says that Arsenal intend to spend again in January with a new central midfielder on the radar. And we know the money's there because Arsenal tried to sign at Douglas Louise uh, right at the end of the transfer window. Of course, in the end, their valuation of what the player was worth was way off of that that Villa had in mind. And so a deal couldn't be struck and a deal couldn't be done in time. But there is some money there. And it feels as though Arsenal, just like us, uh, look at that midfield area and have some concerns, and understandably so. You know, there are a few areas uh, in that team that you look at and you think, you know, we're, we're just lacking that bit of quality uh, depth. I think the centre-forward position is is one of those for me. I like Eddie Nketiah, but he's not he's not Gabriel Jesus. The drop-off is very big, and, and also the drop-off is big between Partey and Lokonga. And it's big between Partey and, and El Nene as well. So it's not even based on his long-term injury. Uh, so will we go out and get a midfielder? I'd like to think we'll be looking. I'd like to be think we'll be, I'd like to think, sorry, that we'll be in the market and that we'll have our ear close to the ground and we'll be keeping tabs on what is going on. Um, but I, I'm trying to not really get too carried away by this transfer stuff now. I mean, we're at the beginning of October. We've got all of this month, all of November all of December. There's a World Cup as well to come, um, you know, which also throws a spanner in the works and changes things quite dramatically in terms of the wider landscape. So we've got to wait. We've got to wait and see. But, you know, I'm not saying that Sammy Mockbell is doing this because it would be completely unfair and it's based on nothing. But what I'm going to say is that this is quite an easy story to write off the back of what we saw at the end of the transfer window, the late move for Douglas Luiz, a central midfielder. Um, you know, we we tried to do that. And so to say or suggest that Arsenal will look to address that issue that they've already identified in January doesn't feel like uh, a piece of groundbreaking news. It feels like something that probably makes sense. And uh, yeah, listen, I'm not saying Sammy's doing that. I don't know Sammy Mockbell at all. Um, but what I will say is this, you know, I, I'll always take transfer related stuff at this point with a pinch of salt. OK, uh, we're going to take a very, very short pause. And then after we've done that, 
we're going to be uh, looking back on some of the other games from the Premier League this weekend, uh, sharing some of our thoughts on those. And we'll also be taking some of you guys' questions from the live chat. I'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna part two, uh, where we're going to be looking back on some of the weekend's Premier League results. Now, of course, the North London derby was the headliner for us anyway, but there was another derby that took place this weekend of which um, many people were interested in, and that is the Manchester derby, where Manchester City defeated Manchester United by six goals to three. I want to start off by saying it's always nice, isn't it, to watch Manchester United get absolutely hammered. But Manchester City are frightening scary. And in particular, Erling Haaland. Now, I just want to give a shout out to Phil Foden before I start waxing lyrical about Erling Haaland because he too scored a hat-trick. But it seems to have been overshadowed by a man who's got um, to this point in terms of hat-tricks. Three hat-tricks, I think it is, in just eight Premier League games. That is unbelievable. When you think some of the Premier League greats, Michael Owen, I think, took 48 or so games to get there. And this guy has done it in eight. He's unbelievable. He can score every type of goal. Put it in the air. He's a powerhouse. He'll get above you. He'll power the header in. Put it over his shoulder. Well, he seems to be able to reach um, with his foot to heights that most people couldn't even dream of. You put a ball into the back post, he can get it on the slide, he can get there. You play a ball in behind, he can run onto it with the explosive pace and power that he possesses. My colleague over at 90 Min, Scott, uh, over the summer described him as a bit of a cheat code. If you were playing a video game, in video game terms, Erling Haaland is a cheat code. And, and the more you watch him, the more you're starting to feel that that's true. Look, Manchester United... Um, weren't expected to go to the Etihad and get anything, I've got to say. But I didn't expect them to be such a pushover. Now, I know they got three goals on the road, which is not to be sniffed at, but you've got to look at the context of the game at the time they got those goals. I think my sort of overriding thought on this one, sort of taking away, we know how brilliant City can be. We know that they've got all the weaponry. We know that Erling Haaland is a machine in front of goal. We know that Phil Foden is spectacular too. You know, that Kevin De Bruyne can pull strings from pretty much anywhere. So none of that was a surprise to me. What was a surprise to me was that Eric Ten Hag felt that he could go into this game with Christian Eriksen in the heart of the midfield. I felt like he needed to protect that area of the park a little bit more, in which case you want to play Christian Eriksen fine, but you can't play Bruno Fernandes too. I thought that was crazy naive from Eric Ten Hag. I get the idea of wanting to embed your philosophy. I get the idea of wanting to 
you know, really get the guys on board with what it is you're trying to do in terms of style and then making sure that they go out there and they carry that out every time they take to the pitch. But my God, this was a suicidal move um, to, to, to line up that way. It just, I said it on the 90 min preview show on Thursday. Um, I said that this was going to be something that cost Manchester United. If Eric Ten Hag went ahead and did it, people were telling me he was going to, I personally didn't think he was that naive, but clearly, um, you know, he's, he's still got a lot to learn and clearly, uh, you know, he's, I think he's missing a couple of tricks still tactically, although, you know, he's a philosophy manager and I'm sure that will be more important to him than sort of one-off results, but results against teams like City are the kind of results that can breed real confidence into a team that is still developing and into a team that is lower on confidence than it probably should be in terms of how big Manchester United are as a club and how they've been as a force over the years. But yeah, that was just my kind of two pence on that game. Uh, Man City runaway winners, well-deserved. Uh, I also wanted to touch on uh, Crystal Palace 1, Chelsea 2. Um, heartbreak for Crystal Palace, really. Uh, the way that they were denied, uh, you know, anything from that game. Obviously, uh, Chelsea levelled on 38 minutes through Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang after Odson Edouard had opened the scoring. And what a goal it was from Aubameyang, by the way. He took it on the turn beautifully and finished it. And, you know, just proving that, well, proving what we always knew is that he's a superb finisher, that he's somebody who can... Um, who can score goals with the right service, who comes alive in certain areas of the park. But unfortunately uh, for us, he he didn't work anymore. It's not to say he's a bad signing for Chelsea. He's gone there. Uh, he went there with the idea of working under Thomas Tuchel, a manager he knew very well and shared a, a close relationship and bond with. And he's now working under Graham Potter. But, you know, he, he scored a goal and, and you can't knock him. Um, Connor Gallagher as well, though. I mean, you just knew if it was going to be anybody, it was going to be him. And uh, that really probably was bittersweet for a lot of people because Conor Gallagher, you know, he went out on loan to Chelsea. He was, sorry, he went out on loan to Crystal Palace from Chelsea. He wasn't, he wasn't trusted maybe by Chelsea uh, fully at the time. He still isn't fully trusted because he still spends a lot of time on the substitutes bench. But I mean, of all people, it was him to, to break Crystal Palace hearts. What a strike uh, it was. A sublime goal. One of the best of the weekend. Not the best, but one of the best. Uh, no question about it. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's just one of those things. These things just happen in football, don't they? They're almost written. But the big talking point for me in that game is that scandalous decision not to send off Thiago Silva. That could have made the world of difference to the outcome of the fixture. The handball on the floor, he essentially touches it initially and then gets down on the floor and like knocks it out of the path of the attacker. How is that not denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity when you're the last man? How is that not worthy of a red card? I'm totally baffled and confused by that decision. I don't think there's anybody out there that disagrees that that was uh, warranting of a red card. Yet the officials, the Premier League officials, the professional officials, those organised and run by the PGMOL, saw things differently. And I do not, for the life of me, understand why that is. Shocking, shocking decision that probably did play a big part in the outcome of the game as well, given that Chelsea went on uh, to win the game. Um in the way they did. Um, 
sort of in the uh, in the dying stages. Elsewhere, Liverpool were held to a frustrating draw by Brighton at Anfield. Leandro Trossard with a hat-trick. Brighton picking up where they left off under Graham Potter. Uh, of course, uh, De Zerbi's come in. And uh, I said that I thought they would probably become a little bit more pragmatic under him. Not too pragmatic because they are uh, ultimately an attacking side built around attacking players, technical players. I think it's that's very suited to De Zerbi's style. And I think that's partly why Brighton went for him. But um, I thought they might, just given sort of his Italian roots, try to tighten it up a little bit. And instead they went all for it. And, you know, they probably should have scored more in that first half. They should have put the game beyond doubt. When Firmino pulled one back, you felt like Liverpool would then go on and get at least something, but they should never have been in that position. Brighton should have been away, clear, uh, and should have taken some of those opportunities to really kind of home in on that. Um, elsewhere, West Ham uh, with a 2-0 win over Wolverhampton Wanderers to relieve some of the pressure on David Moyes, but he certainly didn't do Bruno Large of Wolves any favours because he has since been sacked. Uh, Frank Lampard's Everton won at Southampton. Big, big win for them. Uh, Newcastle with an impressive win at Fulham, a side uh, who have also started the season pretty good and a side that people thought would cause Newcastle problems. Uh, Bournemouth and Brentford played out a boring 0-0 draw and there was also a boring 0-0 draw in the game between Leeds and Aston Villa. Um, so that's kind of my little roundup of the Premier League stuff. So it's time now uh, to take some of your questions. While you guys fill up the chat box with your thoughts, with your questions, I just want to share with you guys uh, some of the latest from our membership platform. So if you are a Chronicles of Aguna fan, if you do want to listen uh, to more content, you can do so by joining the Chronicles of Aguna, following the instructions below on the Another Slice platform. If you head over to anotherslice.com slash Chronicles of Aguna, you will find our show. What you need to do is go to the top of the page on the website. This is not the app. Don't touch the app yet. Go on the website, create your account, sign up. And then if you click on subscribe for £6, it will prompt you to uh, fill in the form. Once you've done that and you're subscribed, then you can download the Another Slice app. Uh, sign in with your uh, credentials that you've just set up and you will have access at your fingertips to all of the Chronicles of Aguna content as well as, most importantly, the premium content that you can only get here. And we've just dropped another episode today, The Importance of Thomas Partey and Patience. Um, it, it was really fun to put together. I really honed in on Thomas Partey because I've been waxing lyrical about him for a little while now and I felt that we needed to do a specific episode on that. We also talked about the way the team has matured um, and the way the team has displayed that they can be patient when needed. But we went into that in quite a bit of detail. So if you are interested, please do head over there, sign up, check it out. Also, as I've been saying to you guys throughout, uh, if you're supporting the Chronicles of Aguna, you'll also be supporting the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital um, which is, uh, of course, an incredible, uh, an incredible uh, cause. Um, but also the first 100 members will go into not one, but two prize draws. There's an opportunity uh, for you guys to win an Arsenal shirt of your choice. All you have to do is sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna on the Another Slice platform. Thank you to everybody who's done it already. Uh, there are plenty of you with us, and I'm so grateful and thankful for your support. 
If you are already a member, make sure you check out the new bit of content that dropped around about a couple of hours ago uh, on there. But as I say, there'll be a minimum of one a week. Some weeks there'll be two, some weeks there'll be three. Uh, it just depends on what's going on in the world of Arsenal, but we will be bringing you loads, loads more. If you are interested, please do sign up. We'd love your support. Okay, let's get some of those questions then from the live chat box. It's popping off in here at the moment. Um, uh, Zam is asking if I would like us to sign Danilo. Um as a defensive midfielder. Um, yeah, we've been, we've been hearing about that. We, we heard a little bit about that, didn't we? During the summer, um, we heard that Arsenal were, were indeed uh, trying to make that happen or at least lining something up for the future potentially. Um, and listen, I, I think he'd, he'd be a good addition based on the very little I know about him. And I have to say it is little, um, you know, my knowledge of the player is not amazing. My knowledge of Brazilian football isn't great. But as I always say to you guys, if we get to the line where that's progressing, then we'll find someone with a much better knowledge to to sort of come on and, and give us the download on him. But yeah, I mean, it, it's weird, right? Because when it's when you look at sort of transfer rumours, I think everybody always wants to see new ones. Everybody finds excitement in new transfer rumours. You don't really find uh, excitement in rumours that have been dragging on and on and on for months and months and months. You you don't really get hyped by that, I guess. But you do when you hear a new name. But actually, for me, I actually feel a lot more comfortable when it's a name that I'm hearing over and over again. And the reason for that is because if that interest has remained strong over a period of time, if the club see that player as the right fit and then haven't really waned away from that, then what you have to say is that it gives you confidence in the fact that our recruitment is far more structured, more planned, better planned, and ultimately something that we're going to benefit from as a result. So, yeah, I mean, look, if Danilo pops up again in terms of rumours and in terms of all the newspapers and the press, then you have to think that he is someone that Arsenal are quite sure on and, and have done their due diligence on. Uh, this is a good question. Pavel says, is a midfield of Zinchenko, Sambi and Vieira uh, something that could work in the Europa? Uh, yeah, I, I think it could. I think it could. Um, the, again, the issue is, though, that like, I don't really want Zinchenko to be involved. Um, I know we've got cover for him in Kieran Tierney, but, you know, there's a part of me that feels like his injury problems at the start of the season maybe need... Uh, maybe mean that we need to wrap him up in cotton wool a little bit as well. I don't know. But in terms of theoretically, I'm not sure that I would do that based on the reasons I've just given you. But theoretically, I think that does work. Yeah. Uh, Pat says, is playing inverted fullbacks against Liverpool playing into their hands on Sunday? It's really hard, isn't it? Because I've I've sort of been sitting waxing lyrical about Mikel Arteta and the fact that Mikel Arteta has been bold enough, brave enough to say, screw it, I'll play my way and I don't care what you do. Liverpool, one of those sides that haven't performed this season so far, if we beat them, I know they've played a game less, but we'll end up 14 points clear. Even if they won that game in hand, we'd still be 11 points clear of the side that many people said were the only ones capable of challenging Manchester City at the top of the Premier League this season. So, I think there'll be a part of Mikel Arteta that wants to pay Liverpool respect, but I think there'll be a part of him that says, no, this is our game. We're in a great run of form. We're at home. We're playing in front of our fans. This is what's worked for us of late. 
And so we're not going to divert away from that. I, I think you'll see more of the same. I've got to be honest. Uh, Chris Carrick says, uh, since Man U set up against Man City was the same against us, the different results point to difference in quality between us then and City. Or is there something we can change tactically? Um, I, I, th- I still think City have a better calibre of player. Like as good as Gabriel Jesus is, he's not Erling Haaland. As good as Martin Odegaard is, he's not Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and so on and so forth. So I still think that there are differences quite dramatic differences between the two sides in terms of quality that they have overall at their disposal. I don't think it's tactical. I think when a team set up and control an entire game, I think it's very harsh to go back and say the manager got the setup wrong. Uh, Gangle says that Harry, what, who do you think can get top four this year? Um, my predictions are kind of changed, you know, over the course of sort of the first few weeks of the season. Man City nailed on. I think Arsenal probably make it now as well. I think Tottenham make it um, as much as I don't like to say that. And then probably at this moment in time, Chelsea. I think Liverpool might struggle. I really, really do. Uh, What else have we got? Um, Sean says, if Saliba stays in form, do you think he will stay next season? I think he stays next season, yeah. I think it's just about trying to get that contract secured and signed and sealed as early as possible so that that controversy and that speculation can be put to bed and we don't have to live with it moving forward. Um, A few more of your questions. Uh, Moss says, uh, Brazil or Argentina to win the World Cup? Argentina, uh, who I'd like to see win the World Cup because I want Leo Messi uh, to sort of have that on his CV, given how great he's been. Um, Chris Chan says, has anyone done a health check? Uh, in Saliba's pocket for Kane. I think I heard a loud noise last night. I think it was Saliba emptying out his pockets in the hallway and Harry Kane, along with Richarlison and Son, falling out. Uh, Stephen Foote, how you doing, mate? Good to see you in the chat. He says, uh, Harry, are we the real challengers to City? Oh, tough question because, look, I understand why people are excited and why people are positive about what they've seen so far, but can I hand on my heart say that I think Arsenal will maintain this for the entirety of the season. I don't. I don't. I I still think there's a long way to go before we can prove that and before fans should be jumping on that hype train. I think we'll have a really good season. I mean, the the early evidence is that we're a much better, more competitive side. Um, Would I go as far, though, as saying that we're real challengers to City? Not yet. I know we're top of the league at the moment, but it's still early days. So uh, I want to reserve judgment on that one. We'll save it for a little bit later on in the season, I am sure. Okay, uh, we are going to leave it there. Thank you uh, so, so much for all your amazing support. Uh, Really good to have you guys in the live chat. As always, a big thank you to everybody who's watching this back on playback or who is listening to this via the audio platforms. Uh, Don't forget, you can sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna membership over on the Another Slice platform. We've just dropped a brand new bit of members-only content, The Importance of Thomas Partey and Patience. Uh, check it out. If you're interested, you need to go to anotherslice.com forward slash Chronicles of Aguna. The link is in the description. Create an account on the website, not the app, the website. Then uh, when you've done that, you can subscribe uh, for £6 uh, per month. Once you've done that, then you can download the Another Slice app, log in with your credentials, and you'll have all our premium content at your 
fingertips. Thank you to everybody who signed up already. Thank you to those who are going to sign up. And remember, if you're one of the first 100, you go into two prize draws for Arsenal shirts of your choice. I'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Until next time, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.